Good morning. This is the Fire Commission regular meeting, June 14th, 2023, and the time is 9.01. This meeting is being held in person. Members of the public may attend the meeting to observe and provide public comment at the physical meeting location or by calling into the meeting by dialing 1-415-655-0001 and using meeting ID 2599 Two seven nine seven six six eight. The webinar password is one two three four. Please ensure you are in a quiet location and speak clearly. Turn off background sounds. Wait for the item you would like to address to be called. When prompted, press star three to be added to the queue. The system will notify you when you are in line. Callers will hear silence when waiting for your turn to speak. The operator will unmute you when prompted. Callers will have the standard three minutes to provide comments. You may also watch live at www.sfgovtv.org. Item one, roll call. President Stephen Nakajo. Present. Vice President Army Morgan. Present. Commissioner Catherine Feinstein. Present. Commissioner Marcy Frazier. Present. Commissioner Paula Collins. Present. And Chief of Department Janine Nicholson. President Nakajo will now read the land acknowledgement. Thank you, Madam Secretary. The San Francisco Fire Commission acknowledges that we are on the unceded ancestry homeland of the Ramatush Olani, who are the original inhabitants of the San Francisco Peninsula. As the indigenous stewards of this land and in accordance with their tradition, the Ramatush Olani have never ceased, lost, nor forgotten their responsibilities as the caretakers of this place as well as for all people who reside in their traditional territory. I guess we recognize that we benefit from the living and working on their traditional homeland. We wish to pay our respects by acknowledging the ancestor elders and relatives of the Ramatush Ohlone community and by affirming their sovereign rights as first people. Item two, general public comment. Members of the public may address the commission for up to three minutes on any matter within the commission's jurisdiction and does not appear on the agenda. Speakers shall address their remarks to the commission as a whole and not to individual commissioners or department personnel. Commissioners are not to enter into debate or discussion with a speaker. The lack of a response by the commissioners or department personnel does not necessarily constitute agreement with or support of statements made during public comment. Madam Secretary, is there any member of the public on uh, the virtual as well as in the chamber? There is nobody on the call-in line or approaching the podium. All right, thank you very much. Public comment is closed. Item three, approval of the minutes. Discussion and possible action to approve the meeting minutes of the regular meeting on May 24th, 2023. All right. That Please, I'd like to make a motion to approve the minutes. Thank you very much, Vice President Morgan. I'll second. Thank you very much, Commissioner Frazier. And there is no public comment. All right. I'm going to call President Nakajo, how do you vote? I vote aye. And Commissioner Collins, how do you vote? The motion is passed. 
and from the minutes of the special meeting on May 31st, 2023. And there is nobody on the public comment line or approaching the podium. All right, public comment is closed. Commissioners? Thank you very much, uh, Commissioner Feinstein. I'll second it. Was that you, Commissioner Frazier, that seconded it? Thank you very much. And President Nakajo, how do you vote? I vote aye. And I believe Commissioner Collins and, Commis and Vice yeah. President Morgan were not at that meeting, so they're passed with the quorum that was attended. Acknowledged, Madam Secretary. Yes, we will abstain. <laughs> Item four, please. Item four, Chief of Department's report. Report from Chief of Department Janine Nicholson on current issues, activities, and events within the department since the Fire Commission meeting on May 24th, 2023, including budget, academies, special events, communications and outreach to other government agencies and the public, and report from EMS and Community Paramedicine, Deputy Chief Sandra Tong, on the EMS and Community Paramedicine Divisions, and report from Administration Deputy Chief Tom O'Connor on the Administrative Divisions, Fleet and Facility Status and Updates, Finance, Support Services, and Homeland Security. Thank you very much. Good morning, Chief Nicholson. Good morning, President Nakajo, Vice President Morgan, Commissioner Feinstein, Commissioner Fraser, Commissioner Collins, Maureen Command Staff, uh, Chief Janine Nicholson, this is my uh, report since our last commission meeting in May. On uh, May the 25th, United Fire Service women put on a uh, women's health summit for all of their members. Again, United Fire Service women is really leading the way in um, trainings and uh, other sorts of things for their members and for the department, really. Uh, on the 29th, um, my command staff and I went to the uh, Presidio for the Memorial Day observance and um, with uh, police and sheriff and many veterans and uh, Speaker Emerita Pelosi spoke as well as several others. Thank you, command staff, for, um, for attending. Much appreciated and um, important to uh, pay our respects. I participated in a video with SFMTA and it's a safety video regarding um, for their um, muni operators uh, who, um, so they do not drive over hose lines. And as we know, this happened a couple of years ago and severely um, injured and changed the course of one of our members' uh, lives um, when uh, a muni bus came into a, a fire zone and, and uh, the, um, the hose snapped and, um, and uh, really really hurt one of our members um, significantly. So, and um, since then it has happened a couple more times. And um, so I made a safety video with uh, the head of the MTA, uh, Jeff Tumlin, and it will be shown um, at all of their um, locations where uh, the muni operators um, gather uh, before their shifts. It will be just be shown on repeat on their video screens that they have. So um, pleased about that. I know we have a first draft version of it, um, and we will get it to you as soon as it uh, becomes available. Also met with the SFMTA uh, with um, Chief Kailoa and, um, and uh, 
Chief Luttrup and um, on uh, for the 20, for the Geary Boulevard transit lane, the red lane that goes that they want to have go all the way out. Uh, Geary, you may have heard some talk about it in uh, the media that there are some merchants out there that were upset, and so we are working with them on um, where they can put parking, where we can still access the streets and um, and get our rigs in. So um, uh, because they want to be able to replace those parking spaces that were on Geary on the side streets. So we're just uh, doing our due diligence with them uh, for that. I also, with Engine 42, I got to visit a school in the Bayview. Um, I love going out and seeing the little kids. Um, it's, always, uh, <clears throat> it's always fun. No offense, command staff. Um, speaking of young people, we had a city EMT graduation, another one. That was our fourth, and uh, the cycle continues. The next class will have 25 people in it. And um, as you may know, we already have some uh, interns from uh, previous classes on our ambulances uh, working to get their 500 hours. I believe we have nine of them right now. And um, we have already hired uh, 12 full-time employees out of, um, out of that pipeline from city EMT into the department, eight in EMS, and four graduated in the last uh, H2 Firefighter Academy. So very, very happy um, and, and proud with that. We're really getting some great uh, quality young people. The mayor's budget announcement, as you know, came out. Um, uh, she gave it downstairs. And uh, Deputy Director um, Corso will uh, speak to this uh, a little bit later with you. Um, but uh, we have thus far um, uh, fared, fared uh, well. Uh, just in terms of the um, economic sort of conditions that we're seeing in the city. So I'm very grateful for that. We met with our new city attorneys. We have lost uh, Jennifer Stoughton, um, unfortunately, and Zach Porianda, as you know. So we got um, uh, city attorney uh, Jennifer Huber, who you may have um, heard about. We've, we've had her on board for a couple of months. Our new, um, our new uh, discipline attorney is... Uh, Carlos Almanzarin, and we also have an attorney named uh, Caroline Page. So three attorneys, and um, we've met with them and uh, look forward to working with them more. As you know, the 131st Academy graduated. Thank you, Chief Kailoa. Great job. Um, and uh, uh, thank you to uh, the commissioners that... Um, to, to those of you that came and, and supported everyone, I think it was a really fun uh, event. And, you know, people screaming out, that's my son or that's my grandson or whatever it was. Just really great energy. So thank you um, and congratulations, Chief Kailoa. Great job. <clears throat> um, the 132 offers for the 132nd class that begins at the end of this month, 26th, 26th, 27th, um, uh, have gone out. And uh, so we are, um, we are already planning for that and onboarding some new uh, trainers, some new uh, officers over there to help with the training. So um, uh, we just keep, keep moving along. In terms of our retirements, we have not seen as many as we had expected, um, but uh, we will get you the final numbers by the end of the month. Um, we graduated 47 people. Uh, in this last class, and 
hopefully, fingers crossed, we will see fewer than that retire because um, we still need to, to build up our, um, our personnel. <clears throat> and uh, we've been meeting with the supervisors that are on the um, budget committee. We met with Chair uh, Connie Chan and um, Vice Chair Mandelman, Supervisor Ronan, and Supervisor Safai. I think today we meet with uh, Supervisor Walton, and then we will meet with the President of the Board, uh, President Peskin, as well. And so far, those meetings have been uh, going well. Um, with Assistant Deputy Sh Chief Sean Buford, um, he and I went to a Black and Asian Pride event um, last week, and uh, it was Black and Asian-inspired food, and it was, uh, it was a really fun, fun night. And um, a lot of good conversation around the tables, although some of the questions that they had listed were a little um, like a, a master's degree, and you know, I needed a little help with some of the answers. I don't know if you felt that way too, uh, Chief Buford, but, but really good conversations were had and um, much appreciation uh, for, for being invited to that. And then as you know, the Juneteenth um, had its inaugural uh, parade uh, down Market Street uh, this past weekend, and we had a lot of our um, uh, members, um, young and uh, not so young, show up and march with us, and it was just, uh, it, it was a really nice event, and I think it's only going to um, uh, become more popular and, uh, and, 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 and better as um, the years move on. Uh, it's only taken since 1865 to get this uh, moving, but um, it is, uh, it's a really wonderful event, and uh, much gratitude to everyone who was there. Uh, including the president and vice president of the Black Firefighters Association, Antoine Davis and John Smith. <clears throat> so yesterday we had our um, interviews for the um, replacement for Chief Shane Kailoa, um, and we will likely have um, a selection uh, later today, <clears throat> and we'll let you know as soon as that happens. And the uh, position that uh, Chief Luttrup is in, the um, ESER, uh, Earthquake Safety and Emergency Response uh, Bond position, interviews um, will be coming soon to a headquarters near you. Um, so uh, I think that may be next week. Is it next week? I'm not sure. Um, as you know, we had uh, a retirement celebration at headquarters. Thank you to the commissioners that attended. and. Um, for uh, Chief Postel, Chief O'Connor, and Chief Serrano, and those were incredible photos of you back in the day of, of Chief O'Connor with long blonde hair. It was fabulous. <clears throat> and we had a photo shoot at City Hall um, with supervisors the other day, uh, the command staff, and a couple other members of the department for um, Pride. And um, last night, myself and Assistant Deputy Chief Erica Artiseros-Brown uh, went to an event with um, uh, the First Lady, Dr. Jill Biden, and with um, uh, Gabby Giffords, uh, who many of you remember as the uh, congresswoman who was uh, shot many years ago, and um, got to meet both of them, um, and it was uh, really, really a thrill. And Chief Artiseros Brown is not here today because she is at uh, another APEC meeting with the Secret Service um, for the event that is coming up in November, the Asian Pacific Economic Conference, uh, where we will have um, approximately 20 heads of state 
in the city for that. Uh, so she's working diligently on that, and they also had their first uh, Fleet Week meeting, I think, uh, recently. So, um, and that is all I have for you today, and happy to take any questions or wait or... Thank you very much, issues. Chief. Uh, what we'll do is we'll take public comment, then we'll ask the commissioners if there's any questions or comments on your report. Um, then we'll proceed to CD4, CD3. Madam Secretary, any member of the public? There is nobody approaching the podium or on the public comment line. All right, public comment is closed on CD1's report. Uh, commissioners, what is your pleasure? Commissioner Feinstein, please. Yes, Chief, good morning. Greetings. Um, I, I, I'm not sure if, uh, well, it's always appropriate to address everything to the boss, and then the boss can uh, hopefully uh, assign out to some mem poor member that uh, might get stuck with this assignment. But I have a request, and I would really like to know how many incidents we have had with the self-driving cars um, interfering at either, I mean, if we could get cooperation from the fire department with either a crime scene or uh, a, a, a suppression scene or an EMS scene. You know, I, I, I read the article uh, about the incident, the shooting that happened on Friday, and at least what I read said it was a cruise vehicle. Um, it, 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 it drove right through the middle of the scene. I think it was at 24th and, and Treat. Um, nine people were shot. One did not survive. Um, now, Cruz's statement that I read was they expressed sympathy for the victim and they denied obstructing anything. And they said that it, it took within 30 minutes, they had the car making a U-turn and parking. And they said there was plenty of room for emergency responders <coughs> to get around them. Now, I'm not asking for an analysis of whether that's true or not, but there are 300 of these self-driving vehicles now out there. You, you, you hear with quite a bit of regularity the fact that they obstruct. I mean, there, there's, we have some very narrow streets. Um, as you well know, trucks are harder to maneuver than let's say um, uh, an engine maybe or a, um, an ambulance, but we need our trucks to be able to get to these scenes. Um, and they just seem to, it doesn't appear to me that anybody is paying attention to how these vehicles are impacting our response. I mean, 30 minutes, as I've learned from the response times I get in the various reports, would be just a totally unacceptable response time uh, for any member of the fire department to any kind of event. That's unacceptable. And for them, just the, 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 the cavalier approach that they took um, we express sympathy for the victims. Well, yeah, it would be nice to know a little bit more about what happened Friday night and what the involvement really was, because this isn't the first time we've heard about 
such things. And I don't know who is best to gather that data, but we should have it. Because I think that as a commission, you know, it may be worth considering trying to take some action um, to, to limit them. Um, I think they're a hazard and they're harming people and causing harm to occur to people. Um, so I'm not sure who would best do that, but I bet you th that someone has that information in the department. So thank you, Commissioner Feinstein. And yes, I did neglect to mention uh, the AV uh, situation in my report, so thank you for that. Um, we can gather that information for you. Some of the challenges um, we can gather that information internally. Um, we ask that our officers write up an unusual occurrence and send it up the chain every time uh, they come into um, contact with um, a challenging uh, a scene where you know the the uh, car does not uh, um, do what we need it to do. And so, um, you know, I will also say that there are high-level meetings happening with the California PUC. Um, which um, with the DMV, I guess they're um, oversees all of this. And so there are those high level meetings happening um, and it's my understanding that uh, the PUC um, heard and understood some of our concerns. Uh, what that means, I don't know, um, but there is um, pressure coming to bear on that, you know. Um, it's also, um, uh, in terms of the one in the mission the other night, um, we were fortunate enough to have several lanes on Folsom Street. And so that vehicle stopped dead in Folsom, on Folsom Street. Um, and you know, fortunately, it was a four-way intersection where we could, um, with several lanes, where we could get in and out. Um, but you are correct, it is absolutely unacceptable. I mean, basically they, the, we got lucky here because it wasn't on a narrow street or some such thing. Um, so um, I know that um, in addition, my staff has um, uh, met with Waymo recently. And um, so we're having conversations. You know, the initial conversations were, well, we'll show you from them. We'll show you how you can move our vehicles. And that's not what, that's not what we need. Um, we need their vehicles to be ready for prime time, and we need their vehicles to um, not hinder uh, public safety. And so we are having those conversations at that level and um, on the state level. So there is, there is uh, some stuff afoot, and um, yeah, they did not, they did not cause um, any delay in our uh, response or anything, in fact, I was so proud of all of our members that went in and out of there and got people off the scene like that, and you know, no one, no one was killed. Um, got one guy into surgery right away. I mean, it was just amazing what our people were able to do, and um, so for that, I'm very grateful. And um, uh, so, yes, they are correct that it did not impede our vehicles. However. Um, you know, I feel like we're playing a little bit of Russian roulette. And, you know, again, I'm not anti-technology. I know the world is going in a particular direction, but um, it needs to be safe for everyone um, before, uh, you know, it has this unfettered access. 
uh, in my humble opinion, um, because uh, you know public safety should should win out. Um, and uh, so thank you, but we, we can get you that information. Thank you, Chief. Thank you very much, Commissioner Feinstein. Commissioner Collins. I want to second what Commissioner Feinstein is saying and add to it my um, firm belief that we can't be the only city experiencing these issues with AVs. And there are national organizations, such as the American Automobile Association, that deal directly with the auto manufacturers. And on behalf of the public, point out issues that need to be addressed. So whatever information we amass, and I, it's great that the conversations are happening at the state level, might also be directed to some of these national advocacy organizations that because they're representing even more cities than ours, have an impact on how these vehicles are um, manufactured and what safety guards need to be included and why. So I think, I think that's the, the data collection is the most persuasive measure. And then once collected, let's see if we can, you know, join forces with other cities uh, having this issue. Because we have a lot of AVs rolling around. You don't find that everywhere. But there are other major metropolitan areas that do. So. Thank you, um, Commissioner Collins. And I believe we are pretty much the test case for AVs. They wanted to go to the second most dense city with all the hills and everything to, uh, to, um, you know, to the most challenging place, in my opinion, <laughs> in the country to do this. And so um, there's not, I, I'm getting a lot of phone calls from other cities um, and uh, just spoke with LA yesterday about some of the challenges we're having. Uh, as you know, there was a piece on uh, NBC New York News a couple of weeks ago um, that we should have sent to you. If we did not, we will, uh, that I was in and Jeff Tumlin was in. Um, so we're getting questions from around the country, but really we are, the, we are the, the guinea pig. Well, that makes our case even stronger because mm -hmm. we've got the data and um, I think the leverage of going directly to the auto manufacturers via organizations that are consumer advocates could be helpful. And I'd be happy to help with that. Okay, thank you very much. All right, thank you very much, uh, Commissioner Collins, Commissioner Frazier. Yes, thank you. Thank you, Chief, for your report. And second, second, <laughs> my uh, sister commissioners on the <clears throat> autonomous vehicle a situation, and I won't go on because I, every, they've said pretty much everything, but I will say this. I attended an online hearing about uh, these companies in our city, and it was interesting because their argument, and I think we need to be prepared for this, is that, oh, don't you want transportation for everyone? As if our, and their argument is taxi cabs don't go into every neighborhood and neither does the muni system, but they do, or they will. And so their argument is, we're transportation for all people in all neighborhoods. And that's, I think, a nice selling point, but patently untrue at this point. Anyway, um, <clears throat> I think they're dangerous. I live in a neighborhood where there's two giant storage facilities. 
Uh, by eight in the morning, they're swarming Potrero Hill, uh, Mission Bay, up and down Third Street. And uh, anyway, that's all I need to say about that. So there is a form you can fill out at the DMV website about uh, any citizen can to give feedback on the autonomous vehicles. And so encourage your families, friends, whatever yourselves. I filled it out. I'm not sure what good it does, but I want my vote in there. And it is on the DMV, California DMV website. And then the only other thing I want to just mention uh, as a personal note is that there was a fire on my block last week. And um, our wonderful members arrived and put it out promptly. It was a, a difficult situation in that we're all wires and we're very steep, so there's no crane. I forgot what they're called. Aerial. There's no aerial. It's all laddering. And it was impressive. And everyone in my neighborhood was super grateful that it was handled in the way that it was handled. The fire was put out. People came back. They checked. Um, and the situation in the house is, is challenging for the person who lives there. But we're all working on that. And I've gotten some good advice from members and other folks. So proud, very proud to be a small, tiny part of this amazing department. So thank you. Thank you very much, Commissioner Fraser, Vice President Morgan. Yes, uh, thanks for your report, Chief. And uh, I'll just keep it short and sweet. I'll try. But, uh, you know, on the autonomous vehicles, I, I won't <laughs> pile on on that. I, just, I guess we have to be the guinea pigs, like you said. But, you know, hopefully it won't go too, too far left. <laughs> On, uh, on those occasions, and I'm glad that you're working with the SFMTA, you know, and coordinating, and I mean, Jesus, I mean, what's their excuse? You know what I mean? <laughs> Running over hoses, really? You know what I mean? I mean, me, you know, and I'm allowed to talk about the bus drivers. My dad was a bus driver. He, he drove for <laughs> Muni, so I can get away with it. You know, I qualify, and my mm -hmm. auntie drove for Muni, so I, right. I can talk about them, you know. But yeah, but I'm glad you're coordinating with SFMTA and then you guys get your priority straight and who has priority in certain situations. It should be you guys all the time. You'd think they'd get that, you know. But no, I'm glad you're working with them, keep everything working smoothly. And uh, you, um, other than that, um, I had a, you know, a good time at the uh, graduation for uh, Chief Postel and Serrano and uh, and uh, O'Connor, um, everybody at headquarters was very, very hospitable. It's always nice to visit the headquarters. And uh, I got my little chocolate rush, <laughs> sugar rush with the cakes, you know, <laughs> so I was good to go. And it was good to see everybody and Chief Buford and everybody else. Um, yeah, uh, and the graduation, uh, that was a good event, uh, 132nd class. You guys are uh, getting great recruits. You know, you can just look at these kids. I mean, these guys are winners, you know what I mean? And uh, you guys are doing a great job recruiting, you know, and I was looking, uh, you know, in the reports here too, you know, with the Mission uh, High School and all the other programs you guys have initiated. Very, very impressive. So just keep up the good work and that's all I got. Thank you, if I may just say <clears throat> back to the MTA. What I neglected to say is MTA and San Francisco Fire Department are actually working together um, in regards to autonomous vehicles uh, okay. because they're having a lot of challenges with them as oh, well, stopping their buses and, you know, um, and we know how long it takes for one of them to get out of the way. So um, 
So yeah, we've been collaborating on that as well. Thank you very much, uh, Vice President Morgan. Thank you very much, Chief Nicholson. Uh, at this point, I have no questions or comments at this point. Madam Secretary, could we proceed with uh, the report from uh, EMS and community paramedics? Deputy Chief Sandy, Sandra Tong, please. Good morning, Chief Tong. Hello. Okay. Uh, good morning, President Nakajo, Vice President Morgan, Commissioners Feinstein, Frazier, Collins, Chief, Maureen, Command Staff, uh, Sandy Tong, Deputy Chief of EMS and Community Paramedicine. This is my report for May 2023. Uh, this is the report from EMS Division, uh, ADC uh, for EMS, Niels Tangerlini. Uh, the month of May, we saw 11,344 calls for EMS. Um, that includes um, our responses as well as private ambulances. Um, so that includes all of um, the calls that um, transpired in the month of May. Um, that was about a 2% decrease from, May, uh, from April, um, but our market share increased about 2%. So, you know, this fluctuates from month to month, whether or not we, you know, are meeting our 80%, which we didn't um, yet um, for the last, you know, I think since October of last year when we had the BLS tier. Um, but we're starting to creep up a little bit this month. It was at 79% of um, the market share that the fire department had. And then, as you know, since you were all there, uh, on uh, Wednesday, May the 24th, uh, Mayor London Breed joined Supervisor Walton, uh, the Director of Cultural Affairs, Ralph Remington, members of the Art Commission, um, and other city officials to officially unveil our new public art installation, the fencing and the gates um, at Station 49 during EMS week. Um, we were able to honor the work of the artist, Michael Bartolos, um, showcasing the historical legacy and symbolism of EMS and firefighting, um, as well as the landmarks of the neighborhoods, the flora and the fauna of San Francisco. Uh, so it was really a wonderful time just to see everybody there. Um, you know, that kind of community event where um, we merged with the Art Commission, uh, the Fire Commission, um, and the neighborhood to really honor this um, spectacular piece of work. Um, and it was just um, sweet that it was during EMS week as well. Uh, so here you see on May 19th, uh, we had the EMS training graduation of 16 new EMTs, as the chief spoke about. Um, this was done over at the Treasure Island YWCA, YMCA. Um, and it was just a really nice venue for the family to be able to gather and honor and celebrate all of the new uh, members to the San Francisco Fire Department. Um, so these 16 of those 16, six of them are graduates of the City EMT um, program and our 9910 internship. Uh, we also had Chief, uh, retired Chief Bob Demons um, come and speak to the students. So it was a real special uh, event for all of them. And then that next weekend, um, the fourth cohort of our 9910 program started. Um, this is again where city EMT graduates come and work on the ambulance for 500 hours. Um, and then they're able to get the you know, hands-on experience, work experience that will qualify them to actually be hired by um, the department. And then at the end of May, as the chief also mentioned, uh, we were also attending the fifth cohort of the city EMT graduation. Um, so that will be the next group of folks that we'll have coming through um, for our 9910 program. I talked to a number of them, and um, while they're waiting for their turn um, with the internship, uh, many of them are already working for or getting jobs with the private ambulance companies. So that'll give them a little bit more experience, a little bit more background um, that will also help them and give them um, a little bit more 
our um, experience when they come do their uh, 99, 10 hours with us. Uh, so in 1974, President Ford designated the third uh, week of May as EMS week. And that's a week to honor EMS clinicians and the important work that we do. Uh, National EMS week um, this year was May 21st through the 27th and was the 49th year um, of this week that was uh, set aside for our EMS professionals. Uh, the theme this year was where emergency care begins. Uh, so this year, uh, I think, was the best year ever in terms of celebrating our crews. Um, and so what we've had in the past were times um, we'd have a, a regular um, barbecue um, that was provided by the um, San Francisco Credit Union. But this year, we had every day of the week, um, Captain Anderson, Emily Anderson, really coordinated all of the um, groups to help celebrate um, our members by providing food every day. Um, they were also able to get chair massages, um, coffee cards, uh, t-shirts. So it was really a nice opportunity for our members to be um, highlighted and um, to have them, um, for us to be able to show our appreciation for all that they do. Um, also during EMS week, um, the, the San Francisco Emergency Medical Services Agency um, hosts a um, annual event um, for EMS providers. It's an award uh, ceremony that happens at the public library. And so I wanted to highlight uh, the members from the San Francisco Fire Department that won these awards. Um, there are eight awards in total, and four of those went to San Francisco firefighters, um, paramedics, and EMTs. Um, so I'm just going to read to you um, and just highlight all of these folks. Uh, the EMS Field Provider of the Year was Nicholas Koo. He's a paramedic recognized for his dedication for the profession, the community, and emergency medicine. He's invested his time and efforts into breaking down the barrier of language to make emergency medical services a more equitable system. He's published a quick translation book with pictograms in the major languages. Uh, develop, developed and acted in a hands-only CPR instructional vi video for the Cantonese and Mandarin-speaking communities, and is one of the creators of the Lifeline Easy Access Information cards we discussed a couple months ago. And aside from all that, he's an excellent paramedic. Uh, Raymond Lim Excellence in EMS Award uh, went to Scott Wagness. This is an award that um, goes to somebody who's made significant contributions and exemplifies outstanding commitment to professionalism, ethics, and EMS quality over the course of their career. Uh, Scott Wagness developed and published a quick access, durable, and portable weight-based drug reference book for pediatrics. He's recognized the, he recognized the infrequent use um, of, and the nature of um, pediatric encounters in San Francisco and that it can make um, you know, our providers much more hesitant in their treatment. So having such a guide um, actually gives, um, it gives them sort of the confidence um, and the tool to, make, um, you know, to have them be ready for um, what they might need to do um, when they encounter um, these children in, in the emergency setting. Uh, the community, provider, um, community Paramedicine Provider of the Year, this is the first year that this award has been given, uh, went to our community paramedic, Captain Chris Couch. Uh, she's a steady and powerful advocate for some of the most socially and medically competent patients in our EMS system. She demonstrates empathy, superb communication, and excellent teamwork skills in both the clinical environment and during EMS six case conferences. She goes to emergency rooms to advocate for better care. She visits vulnerable patients in their homes, seeks them out on the streets, and takes their phone calls, all while remaining calm, warm, and empathetic to clients who truly need to feel heard, seen, and accepted as they are. 
And then finally, the Mary Magosi Excellence in EMS and Disaster Leadership. Uh, that went to Section Chief of Community Paramedicine Administration, Michael Mason. Um, he's been instrumental in the development of community paramedicine and, and has led the efforts of the Tenderloin Joint Field Operations, overdose team development, street response, crisis response team development, buprenorphine implementation, quality improvement implementation, and many others. Um, he's also created a system of data collection that is used to inform CP and SFFD policy as well as city policies. So I just wanted to um, shout out to all of these members who um, you know, do great work every day among all of the other um, paramedics and EMTs, first responders um, every day. So just wanted to highlight them. Uh, from the Community Paramedicine Division from ADC of Community Paramedicine, Simon Payne. Um, these are our main highlights. Uh, Chief Mason was um, spoke in front of the California State Assembly. Um, he provided witness testimony on the select to the Select Committee on Fentanyl, Opiate Addiction, and Overdose Prevention. Um, he was be able to, he was able to present on the impacts of the fentanyl crisis on first responders in the 911 system, and shared with the assembly members evidence-based best practices uh, that counties can implement. Uh, we also started our fifth um, community paramedicine training cohort. Uh, this began on Monday the 22nd, and we have 10 members, uh, 10, community, 10 paramedics who are participating in that uh, six-week training program. Um, they get extensive didactic and clinical training, and they'll be the first cohort to actually attempt um, a required um, IBSC community paramedicine certification exam. Um, this will be um, something that all of our community paramedics are going to have to pass in order to be community paramedics um, going forward, and this will be effective as of November of this year. So it's required by our state regulations, um, so we're going to be helping um, all of them try and uh, make sure that they pass this, uh, this new exam. And then also our monthly speaker, Community Paramedic Speaker Series. Um, we had Dr. Chris Wright. Um, she shared her knowledge with the CP division. Um, she's uh, the Dep Department of Public Health Assistant Outpatient Treatment Program Manager. Um, she has a long history of working with clients with severe mental illness, complex trauma, and substance abuse and poverty. Um, the CP division, especially our EMS 6 team, um, works closely with Dr. Wright and her team to coordinate care for individuals in severe mental illness. She spoke on the current forms of conservatorship available in San Francisco, um, with particular focus on the um, process of involuntary mental health holds, community conservatorship, and assisted outpatient treatment. Um, and then finally, there's just some data there for you to see, um, our monthly data for our um, community paramedics, EMS-6, uh, the street overdose response team, as well as the street crisis response team. Um, just to highlight uh, this month, uh, getting people into opioid use disorder to start the medication of buprenorphine to treat their addiction has been a priority for the um, street overdose response team um, since its inception. inception in Exception uh, in uh, August of 19 or 2021 until uh, March of 2023, our community paramedics on the sort street overdose response team have had to advocate with the emergency room physicians to give the first dose of buprenorphine. Um, or if the patient decided not to go to the emergency room, then we had to follow up with them and try and get them that connection with um, possibly the uh, DPH Street Medicine team um, or the office-based buprenorphine induction clinic. But since um, April, 
April, we have been approved, as I think we've mentioned before, um, to be able to have our community paramedics and paramedics provide buprenorphine directly to a, a patient that's experiencing um, an overdose and then going through withdrawals. So in the months of April, we were able to um, administer seven doses of buprenorphine, and then as well as in May, um, another seven. So this is um, a little bit above an average of what the Contra Costa-based county, um, the California Bridge Program that they're doing, they average about four per month. So we're starting to, um, I think maybe because our population, we're seeing more of these patients. So we anticipate that our paramedics, um, both community paramedics and paramedics, will be providing um, and being able to administer um, additional doses of buprenorphine. Um, so this is still a pilot project, but we're looking forward to seeing how, um, how this impacts um, not only the patients, but also their um, followed-up treatment and, um, and their eventual, hopefully, success um, from this addiction. And that's my report. Thank you very much, uh, Chief Tong. Madam Secretary, comment from the public? There is nobody on the public comment line or approaching the podium. Public comment is closed. Commissioners, Commissioner Feinstein. Good morning. morning. Um, I, I had um, an encounter yesterday, and I just wanted to ask you about it. I'm a little bit embarrassed because I probably should understand this these procedures uh, better than I do by now. Um, uh, I was driving, and I was, uh, it was about 3.30 in the afternoon, and I was driving um, up Sacramento Street, not sure if I was approaching the corner of Sansom or Battery, but it was right on the corner of um, uh, Embarcadero 1 and they have those kind of pillar advertisements, you know, that have billboards on them. And a man was lying against one with his, half his body out in a lane of traffic. And um, engine 13 responded and was on scene. And I said, well, there's no time like the present. And I pulled safely into a yellow zone so I didn't get in anybody's way. Um, I really need to comment uh, the, the, the four uh, firefighters. I couldn't, some couple had t-shirts and a couple had regular shirts. So um, I, 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 I can't tell, I, I didn't know who was what, what who had what rank or, or, or what it was, but they handled uh, this gentleman. They indicated to me it was a 911 call-in. They handled this gentleman incredibly courteously, um, providing really superb, I thought, care to him, and offered to transport him, and he declined, and then I think it was a lieutenant. Um, I just am not sure. But he, he then told me that, that they were under the obligation. If he wanted to walk away, he could walk away. But they watched him walk away. And that if he were somehow impaired and unable to walk, that they needed to transport him. Meanwhile, an ambulance 
comes by, drives by, doesn't, doesn't approach, as far as I know, there's no communication between the ambulance and the engine. And as this is coming to a close, engine 13 gets another EMS call. And I couldn't quite understand, I mean, we have two engines responding to two medical calls, or at least that's how they're coming out as medical calls. And an ambulance clearly nearby, because it, 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 this call was about two blocks away, the second call. And I just can't figure out when an ambulance responds or when an engine responds. Because this engine was, like you could tell, stacking up the EMS calls, or so it felt. Can you explain that procedure to me a little bit? Sure. So for all medical calls, for the most part, an ambulance will be responding, is, is part of the um, response pattern that um, happens in dispatch based on a triaging of the call. If it's medical, then an ambulance um, is typically um, dispatched. And then um, depending on the severity of the incident, then an engine um, will respond. And if the determination of that call also is that it is a code three response, then um, they want to get the closest um, first response unit, whether it's a truck or a BLS engine or an ALS engine. So there are times when you will see a dispatch with two engines um, because they're trying to get the closest um, engine to that incident responding um, and then an ALS engine also to respond with them to be able to provide ALS um, treatment if necessary. And then the ambulance is associated with them, but um, typically the um, engines or the trucks are going to get to a, an incident sooner than an ambulance will. So we always want to have them going to a call first um, and then have the ambulance come as well. So in this instance, I'm not sure what the status of ambulances were at that time. It, you know, sometimes there has to be a catch-up. So it could be that there were no ambulances available at that particular moment. Um, so they sent the two engines in. And then as soon as that ambulance that you saw drive by and not be required for that call, they would be able to go into service. And then they could also get sent on that call as well. I don't know that it makes a difference. There was one engine that, okay. that responded. Okay. Um, and apparently it was a citizen 911 call mm -hmm. um, about, about this um, man. And off the man that was down, um, against yes, the off he went down the street, and I'm sure set up at the pillar at the next corner. But um, uh, so, uh, it was a little frustrating to see that he clearly. It, I, I, I understand what the rules and regulations are, and the limitations that you have in terms of be, being able to offer transport but not require it. Mm -hmm. um, but. It, 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 you know, it was a little bit of, um, you know, I, I, I don't mean this to sound so harsh, but kick the can because there was no way he was going to make it through mm. the rest of the day or the evening without somebody else calling 911 sure. on him. But I understand what you're saying. Yeah, you're it can be challenging saying. because if they're able to, if after an, a physical assessment um, and questioning of this person, if they answer all their questions appropriately, are able to walk away on their own and don't want to go to the hospital and there's no apparent medical reason for it, um, they can refuse. Um, and the call that you're talking about, if, if only an engine was dispatched, we do have what we call citizen assist 
calls where that is just an engine or a truck that responds um, is not deemed necessarily as a medical incident. Understood. Thank you. Thank you sure. for clarifying that. Thank you, Chief Tong, for your report. I, I don't care if it's up or down 2%, 11,344 calls is a lot of calls yeah. in a month. So that's an amazing thing to think about. Um, <clears throat> the art installation event was, as you said, fantastic and well done and just had such a good feeling and such a great uh, group of people showed up from all the other commissions and it was, it was quite wonderful. Um, I had a question about the one of your slides, how many Suboxone? Well, Suboxone and buprenorphine are the same thing. It's just the brand name is Suboxone, is my understanding, correct? Um, Suboxone also has Narcan. Oh, it, it also has Narcan, mm -hmm. okay. Um, so when you say, or when the report says they were administered, is that by patch, injection? It's a little sublingual. sublingual. Mm -hmm. In the mouth, mm -hmm. okay. I was just curious about that. And then there's the ones who are administered the buprenorphine, suboxone, and how do they decide, maybe this is too much inside baseball, but how do they decide which one to use? We only carry suboxone. We only carry suboxone, mm -hmm. okay. That Sorry. makes a decision yes. easy. It's <laughs> and then uh, it, when it's administered in an emergency situation, I know they're offered ongoing treatment, and um, how well does that work, or how often, I should say, do people accept an ongoing treatment of that medication. I don't have the exact numbers, and I'm not sure if Chief Pang has that. Um, or do you even keep track of we, it? How we, do you know um, we are trying to um, create a, um, a data that gives us more longitudinal information as to what happens when we see somebody, um, and then how do they progress through the system. Because once we provide the suboxone or buprenorphine, um, then we have um, SORT, but primarily the um, POET, the post-overdose engagement team, they're the ones that do the follow-up with individuals after we've seen them. And POET is part of the Department of Public Health? Yes. So we'd need to have some coordination with DPH to know what the results were. I mean, we're at the, at the gate, and then they presumably walk through the gate uh, into some kind of yes. ongoing care with DPH. Okay. Yeah, we're working on that. Yeah. No, I know. Thank you so much. Great to hear from Thanks. you today. Thank you very much, Commissioner Fraser. Vice President Morgan. Yeah, I'll be quick. Thanks for your report, uh, Chief Tong. And uh, I, I just want to say uh, congratulations to the uh, paramedics that received awards. And that's always great. Uh, they're doing great work out there. And uh, acknowledge him, uh, paramedic uh, Scott Wagnus again, and, and paramedic Nicholas Koo. Yeah. And uh, want to also thank uh, Chief Mason for educating people on the fentanyl uh, opioid uh, situation to the California Assembly Select Committee. So that, that's good news. And uh, you guys are just, uh, do you anticipate any type of uh, changes with the use of Nor Norcan or those, uh, those uh, 
save your drugs in, in the future? <laughs> uh, we're hoping yeah. that that's the case. I think um, with more widespread use and availability of Narcan, that mm -hmm. people are going to be able to at least identify somebody having an overdose and be able to reverse it before it's too late. Yeah, just um, a regular citizen can use it, mm -hmm. you know. But you guys don't anticipate the laws changing, you know, in a bad way towards that, do you? Or I hope any, not. Yeah, no. okay. nothing you've heard about. Right, okay. But that's good news, too. Yeah, so... Yeah, I didn't really have much. I just want to uh, thank all the people doing all the great work, and thank you for your great report. Thank you, all right. thank you very much, uh, Vice President Morgan. Uh, Chief Tong, I have a few questions and comments. Uh, first of all, I wanted to acknowledge, as Vice President Morgan did, uh, your narration <clears throat> on the EMS Week awardees. Uh, I think that helps for us uh, in terms of who these individuals are. Um, for me particularly, for the commission as well, by name, and what they did to, to uh, be awarded the recognition. I'm also one of these individuals that's curious to, when someone gets an award that says Raymond Lim Award, I'd like to know who, who was Raymond Lim or, you know, what is the name or the status behind the award. Now, I don't need to hear that now. It's just that I just think it's important to be able to recognize those members in the way you did. It was very, very important. Yeah, I can um, get that to you. Off the EMS report by uh, Deputy Chief Tagalini, uh, what I pick up always is, uh, as Commissioner Frazier, the May total number, 11,344. I always look at the EMS division average uh, call, 344 for this report. Slight decrease from April. Uh, only one day saw demand over 400. So my mind always goes between the high threes to a four, which is a lot. Mm -hmm. And so again, I'm trying to measure that with what we have out there as members. Your report, or Tagalini's report, goes on that says time on task for ambulance was approximately 92 minutes due to congestion delays at hospital. Do you want to comment on that a little bit, Chief? It is increasing. Um, I think this month went down a little bit, um, but it's definitely increased over the last few years in terms of whether it's um, the time on task um, in the hospitals, um, just trying to get patients um, off the ambulance and or off the gurney and getting them into a hospital bed. That's probably one of the most significant pieces in the extended times of our crews. Um, but also, you know, getting to calls, getting to a hospital. Um, you know, you know, doing an assessment. Um, the more things that we um, are able to do to treat a patient and to try and stabilize them in the moment, um, that takes time to you know provide um, at you know to put in an IV, to administer medication, uh, to do a proper assessment, uh, to do 12 leads. So all those things also add to um, some scene times as well. So we're kind of seeing when you add all of those different pieces um, up together, then um, you know our time on task is, is increasing. Okay, and I think it's important for us, the commissioners, to be aware of that, because for me, when I lock into a number like that, traffic con uh, congestion, I, I can understand that, the different variations of the city, extra lane, no lane, bubbles, or whatever it is. But also, I concern myself with the hospital delay, EMS, with the various hospitals, because um, I've been at EMS as a patient, and <clears throat> I've seen the gurneys be stacked up, mm -hmm. depending upon where you are. It's just the way it is in terms of the volume. 
So again, I appreciate um, a narrative on that. I also picked up your the 80% market market share uh, and the goal of, uh, is it 80% chief that we're trying to achieve? At least 80, yes, 80 to 85%. Okay. Um, as this report continues, data from the MS divisions and some of the commissioners uh, asked about it, um, revealed that the NARCAM use for this quarter has already matched that of 2020, the year that was noted for the high rate of overdose reversals and death. The quarter is still almost a month left in this previous quarter uh, in terms of the record use of NARCAM. The overdose rate death of San Francisco is on pace to see 800 people die from overdose. Is that 800 of people that die from overdose? Is that a what, what is that number? Is that an annual number? What is that number? That's an estimate of if we continue um, with the number of op um, overdose deaths, um, you know, based on the data that already has um, been provided, that's the estimate number of folks that um, will likely die of overdoses by the okay. end of the year. And again, trying to understand the NORCAM question, but um, when you say that we're all made it matched and uh, it's a high rate and we got a month left, what does that mean? Does that mean we, we, we don't run out of supplies in NORCAM, do we? Or what, can you explain that, please? Yeah, I think he was just uh, comparing the numbers of um, what we have gotten to, because the, for the month of, or for the quarter, um, the data that shows on that, um, on that chart, on that, um, on that graph, um, if you just look at the quarter, we're, you know, we're already higher than um, we have been in previous years, um, and the quarter's not yet over. Okay. Um, I'm moving on this report. Uh, I think it's really important that part of this report is the numbers in terms of graduations from the H3L1 level. Uh, also, the report to the chief as well on the EMTs and the 9910 interns. Just for clarity, again, for me, commissioners, 9910 is what? It's a classification, city, it's a city classification that um, allows us to, that, that it's, it's like a H2 or H3, it's the city classification for interns um, for, the, for the department. Okay, these interns are not members of the, of the department, they're quote-unquote interns, right? They're interns, yes. They're hired, um, you know, sort of in this um, internship. Um, so they are in our system, but um, they're not, you know, permanent employees or anything like that. Okay, and I'm going to welcome Chief Nicholson at any point to chime in on this as well. I'm trying to have a clear understanding, and again, when I read this, I confuse myself from a 99.10 to EMT program to 500 hours of qualifications to... EMTL1. Chief Nicholson? So, yes, um, I know we use all this internal lingo that can be hard for <laughs> everybody to understand. So, the 99 position was, 9910 position was created as a result of our city EMT program okay. uh, because we wanted to be able to give these young people an opportunity to get 500 hours on an ambulance because that is the prerequisite to become an H, um, a, a level three H1 EMT on our ambulances. And so <clears throat> some of them have come to us to do internships. Some of the people from city EMT have gone to AMR and King to get those 500 hours. 
Um, but this was a way for them to get their 500 hours and also for us to see um, what some of these young people were made of, if the program that we're working with is uh, effective and impactful. And so they are not a, um, uh, they're not a, a, um, a permanent employee, as Chief Tong said. Uh, they are simply here to do their 500 hours, and then they will be separated. Um, once they complete those 500 hours and have all of their, um, everything in place, they can then apply to be uh, an H, to get into the H3 level one academy. So they still have to go through that piece. Just because they're 9910 doesn't mean that we'll bring them into the department. They still have to go through the regular civil service process. Okay, and I appreciate that because again, I get confused on what I saw part of this in the report from uh, Chief Buford and I know that uh, it's part of uh, CD3's report in terms of overall, but I wanted to get that differentiation because Chief, one question, is it 9910 and EMT programs, two separate programs, or are they synonymous? So the city EMT is run by a nonprofit that we work with. Okay, got it. We have some of our people teaching there, um, but uh, and the 9910 is strictly done by the department with some of those young people that graduate from city EMT. So right. they are separate. Um, both funded from uh, uh, similar places, from the Office of Economic and Workforce Development, um, and um, uh, so, but they are separate programs. Yeah, I but part of the pathway. I, I appreciate that, and Chief Tong, I appreciate that. I saw the report as well. Again, diversity as such, Chief Bifford, I'm making reference to that because the, the recruitment in the high schools, and again, it was mentioned or whatever the community base is, and an entree to come in to the department and the separation of what those titles are, I'm gonna call it classifications. Now, I can understand the 9910 because it gives some officiality, Chief Tong, to it, um, but I just think it's an encouraging program because I was trying to figure out how this all moves. That 500 hours is important. It's tough yeah. to get 500 hours. And if we can provide that in-house, from the high school all the way up, because I get members of my community all the time that ask me, and it's pretty confusing. And then you make, I make my reference to City College Academy or Fire Academy or Science, and all of that has to be kind of differentiated, because some people think if you go to City, you automatically are this or that, and I'm just asking that for clarification for myself. Thank you for spending the time uh, with me this morning. Uh, colleagues, again, I ask for your patience in terms of this clarification for myself. Um, part of this report, again, I'm moving on. May I just respond to one more thing that sure. you said? Sure, Chief. Um, President Nakajo, you were talking about the um, delays um, at the hospital. Right. APOT, ambulance patient offload time. And it is a significant challenge, not just for San Francisco, but across the state and across the country. Um, so, and what we have done in San Francisco is community paramedicine. Community paramedicine has taken thousands of people from going to the ER when an ER is not the appropriate um, uh, avenue for them. So. It's really the cutting edge stuff that um, you know that everyone is calling Chief Pang about now from across the country. But we keep patients from going to the hospital that don't need to be there, um, and you know hospitals are understaffed and and overloaded um, across the country. 
Uh, and I appreciate that clarification and that emphasis because that makes a lot of sense in terms of it. Uh, again, at one point or another, I had some relationship formerly when I was on this commission in the sense that uh, there was a, a hospital council that uh, we sat on to coordinate their biggest, well, they got a lot of issues, but that EMS backup in terms of just the demand of that section in the various hospitals. It's a, it's a big issue. Uh, so again, I appreciate the time. I'm on page seven, and I don't know if you, Chief, have the same information. And again, I should know this, but again, when I don't know something, I just ask, or I try to get clarification. But that page seven, EMS six, fire incidents, medical incidents, you with me, Chief, on that? Yes. Uh, I guess I don't understand, I don't understand how I read no and yes on the homeless uh, incident distribution. What does no mean when it comes to the homeless? That Can you explain that? I don't want to conjure. Conj so it means that um, this information comes out of our um, electronic PCR, patient care record. Okay. Um, so there's a, a, a box that says, is this person experiencing homelessness? And if they answer no, that means they have, they're housed in some okay. way. And, and yes is it. So when it gets down to something like 2023, I think it's May 5th, you see that number, 205 as a total? You see that number, Chief? Yeah, for EMS 6, uh-huh. I guess I don't understand that. So the uh, total number of um, members or individuals that was seen by EMS 6, 42% uh, um, were those that were unhoused. 18, uh, 58% uh, or 116 were um, housed. So for a total of 205 um, individuals that they contacted or saw. Okay, and am I supposed to read that as May 5th of 2020? Uh, no, I'm sorry, that's the month. So the month of May, April. Okay, okay, thank you for that. I should know, but I get confused when I read a lot yeah. of materials. Uh, I'm just gonna carry on just a few more questions and if you could indulge me if through the chief. Chief Nicholson yourself. I'd like to ask Chief Pang if he could come up here and answer some of these questions I have from his report. Good morning, Chief Pang. Good morning, President Nakajo. Uh, it's been a while. Uh, again, I read reports like the rest of our colleagues. Um, on the program first sheet, page nine, uh, and I know there's been a reconfiguration, meaning it's EMS 6 with a categorical street crisis response team with a categorical street overdose response team to make it simpler. I'm, that's the word I use, comparative to what we used to have. And the reconfiguration date was March 4th, 2023. So I'm just following the, all, all that up because uh, there's been a lot of talk, a lot of action since we since you, we, the department, have done the reconfiguration uh, in terms of um, members of the Board of Supervisors, the Mayor's Office, uh, more emphasis on the homeless, more emphasis on Tenderloin, more emphasis on mental health, the Sheriff's Department, the California Highway Patrol, Governor Newsom, targeting San Francisco, Tenderloin, and I just want to hear from yourself uh, as we are doing our paramedicine What's, what's, what's the change or effect or relationship or can you give us some synopsis on this uh, for 
myself and our colleagues, Chief Peng. President DeCondro, Vice President Morgan, Commissioners Feinstein, Frazier, Collins, Chief Marine, Command Staff. The question, I believe, is how has the reconfiguration played out? With the new endeavors of the state, the city, the police, the sheriff, the supervisors, all of the legislation, all of the talk, well, I want to know how it affects us. I, I, can, I can speak to, to some of that <clears throat> as well. Right, uh, sorry to interrupt you. Thank you, Chief Nicholson. So, yes. So, as you may know, the, um, the National Guard has been um, uh, assisting um, the city and county of San Francisco with intelligence. Uh, CHP has been assisting uh, the city and county um, with um, uh, uh, some, um, you know, pulling folks over and the like with, uh, with utilizing that intelligence um, and arresting uh, drug dealers and really looking um, to get some of the, the bigger fish, shall we say. So that's ongoing. And um, the, uh, as you know, the sheriff came out the other day and, and said they were going to work with the police. And so there has been <clears throat> an initial sort of pilot of um, arresting um, people that are doing things illegally on the street, on the sidewalk. Uh, so, you know, if they're utilizing drugs on the street, um, that is against the law. And so they are going to um, uh, arrest folks. And so they have started doing that. Uh, many of these people have had uh, warrants out for their arrest already. Uh, so um, that's some of what is happening. Um, but it's really started on a very small scale. Uh, the sheriffs won't be out there for another month or two um, uh, uh, assisting with this. So um, it's really kind of a pilot um, uh, sort of program to, to see um, uh, what's what. And what we have to look at is um, sort of our own data. And are, is this increasing calls for the ambulance or for a crisis team? Or is it decreasing calls? Or is it, or is it just remaining the same? Um, and we will have to do the same with the new um, heart team that Urban Alchemy will be putting out, which will also be, um, uh, you know, addressing people on the street, uh, whether they're passed out or, you know, creating some type of ruckus or whatever. And so we will have to see when that program is implemented if it increases or decreases or has no impact on our call volume. Uh, so. That, that pretty much, uh, I think, sums it up. Would you agree? Anything else? Thank you, Chief. Um, I would say that um, there is ever-increasing demands on, on community paramedicine, particularly street crisis response team. Um, the reconfiguration has, has um, demonstrated that, that our idea was correct. We're more efficient. We, we unfortunately, um, in order to keep our staffing of 12 street crisis units per day, we needed more FTEs. We didn't get those, but yet our members are um, meeting the demand with fewer units now, um, which is good. Um, one thing that's coming down our way is that we are going to inherit some more calls from the police department very soon, as soon as, as, soon as we work out some details, and that will increase uh, not only call volume for street crisis response team, but also for our ambulances. So we're going to have to be very, very um, thoughtful about that process. And, and, and uh, if it turns out that this is an 
increase in call volume that we can't handle, then we're, we're going to have to advocate for, for more resources. All right. I appreciate, Chief, the overall um, and the up-to-date because, again, um, that kind of information detailed is not – I don't have it really available. I mean, it's stuff like newspapers, TV, and such, and inside myself being part of the commission, that question overall and operational question are, is what I'm interested in. That's why that number of 11,000 or around 340, 400 a day is something I'm looking at because, again, if we're able to handle it with what we have, which again, Director Corso will be up here because there's a relationship to funding. And so I'm just trying to anticipate and, and, and try to understand how this all looks as all of this. And thank you for reminding me about the National Guard, Chief, uh, because there's a lot of entities here talking about San Francisco. And again, with us, with the paramedic and EMS and paramedicine, our members on the streets, suppression as well. I just want to know how that all plays out as we move forward. So that's why I wanted to get you up here to give your perspective as a paramedicine division chief. And thank you again, Chief Nicholson, Chief Tong. I'm not done yet, Chief Tong, but anything else, Chief Peng? Um, no, nothing further from me, but like, I'm happy to answer colleagues more if there's anything while you're up there to uh, ask particularly or not, okay? Okay, we'll move on. Let me uh, finish off with you, Chief Tong. Through my notes and through this discussion, we've concluded. Thank you very much for your report, Chief Tong. Thank you. Okay, well, welcome. Is this your last official report, uh, Deputy Chief Tom O'Connor? Last official report, Commissioner, but I'll be at the next commission meeting as well, sitting okay. silently in the background. Good to, that's good to know. We, that, that, that makes us happy. Thank you. Thank you. Please proceed. Good morning, President uh, Nakajo, Vice President Morgan, Commissioners Feinstein, Frazier, and Collins. I am Tom O'Connor, the Deputy Chief of Administration, and this is my report for May of 2023. Under our Homeland Security Division with Assistant Deputy Chief Eric Artaceros-Brown, we had a very busy month. On May 18th, we held a battalion control drill at the Fire Department Operations Center, our FTOC. A battalion control drill is when we simulate that all communications are virtually down and each battalion operates as a separate entity, a separate sort of fire department managing their resources within their battalion and then reporting in to headquarters. So we went through a run through of that. On May 18th also, we had a Golden Eagle exercise. This is sort of the backup to the backup to the backup where we bring in uh, some ham radio enthusiasts and we communicate in the old fashioned way in case every single other means of communication is down. So we had members of the auxiliary communication service there, the ACS coordinating with their amateur radio comms of the SF-50 battalions. On May 2nd, we saw the Homeland Security Division and Chief Tong involved in the Asian Pacific Economic Cooperation Planning. This is a meeting of 27 world leaders which will be held this fall in San Francisco with both the president and vice president attending. So you can imagine the level of planning and coordination that is needed going forward. So uh, Chief Artiseros Brown has really stepped up and with the assistance of Sandy Tong and others are moving forward with 12 million committees approximately. Um, under the Diversity, Equity and Inclusion Office with Assistant Deputy Chief Sean Buford, we had another busy month as well. And uh, Commissioner Morgan, you spoke earlier about how great the class looked. Well, the classes look great because of people like Lieutenant Hashim Anderson doing all the outreach in the community. So we see a picture of him here in that white shirt with a big smile on his face, talking to his students at SF State about career opportunities in the San Francisco Fire Department. 
On the next slide, you can see that smile again. He's there at the City and County San Francisco Job Fair, at the Santa Rosa Job Fair, and Los Medinos Nursing EMS and Fire Job Fair, as well as uh, you see Julie Mao in the bottom center photo as well, helping out. The next slide, we had Assistant Deputy Chief Sean Buford and Battalion Chief Julie Mao. They attended the retirement party for Oakland Fire Chief Reginald Freeman. Uh, he's been quite a pioneer in the fire service and a real notable leader, and unfortunately, we're losing him to the private sector for greener pastures on the East Coast. I'm not exactly sure what job he picked up, but uh, judging by that smile on his face, it looks pretty lucrative if he's leaving the fire department. Uh, on May 26, as Chief Tong mentioned earlier, we had eight 9910s graduate from the city EMT program. They completed their two-week academy at the division training, and they'll be working on SFD ambulances for about 500 hours. And on May 20th, we held the second of our two pre-fire boot camps at Treasure Island for our recruits so they could get a feel of what they have ahead of them. And I think if you click on that, Sandy, it should be a movie. You can see them dragging hose and raising ladders. And as some of you fire commissioners are familiar with, it's not the easiest of tasks. <laughs> Under Health, Safety, and Wellness Division with Battalion Chief Matt Alba, we continue to work on our violence in the workplace policy. And this is an attempt to accumulate all the data on all the times that our medics primarily and EMTs are facing aggressive clients or violent episodes in the ambulance and on the streets. We're trying to tabulate all the data, work with the police department and with District Attorney Brooke Jenkins to get a policy in place where we really kind of not only try to stop these attacks but go after the people that engage in these attacks. We don't want these crimes to go uh, unanswered for because it's really putting our members in increasing amount of danger out in the streets, especially with the fentanyl drug crisis and the erratic behavior we see. Um, our health and safety division also looked for possible areas to collaborate with USF with their public health master's program, uh, looking at classes in behavioral health and education, clinical psychology, as well as getting some assistance from their grad students on our own internal data an analysis. Uh, Chief Alba also met with retired members and he discussed our wellness app because we want to make sure we have sort of a cradle to grave reach out to our members who are experiencing difficulties with a, a long career in the SFFD. And lastly, we had five new recruits from the 131st class have been added to the firefighter cancer cohort study. This is a longitudinal study looking at the effects of carcinogens on firefighters. And what we do is we get a base snapshot at the beginning of their career and then track them throughout their career for any physiological changes that they may be encountering as a result of their exposures to different carcinogens. Right now, we have a total of 28 participants. And this is being run through Dr. Jeff Burgess at the University of Arizona. And as mentioned in the previous few months, we're continuing to track all of our data for the Behavioral Health Unit. You can see our various graphs and charts. So we can come to you at the end of the year with a real sort of in-depth snapshot of what we've done and what we need to do going forward to help our members with a very difficult job. Under our Neighborhood Emergency Response Team, NERT, we had the ever-present Lieutenant Hashim Anderson and Captain Patty Yoon Louie teach the NERT volunteers. And we also had some graduates following a six-week course. They're ready to help themselves and their family and their community in a disaster. And this has just been a fantastic program that uh, was initially guided or really expanded under uh, Assistant Deputy Chief Erica Artisaros-Brown. And it's just grown bigger and bigger. And it's just a terrific asset in the community to have not only the citizens familiar with emergency techniques, but familiar with us as an entity uh, in their neighborhoods. Under the Office of Employee Health with Dr. Brokaw and Registered Nurse Stephanie Phelps, we had end of probation, EMS hires, and promotional exams, counting uh, totaling 40 people. We had candidate screening for the 132nd Fire Academy with 40 additional people. 
and under our hearing and TB testing, we're up to 1,338 members, so we're nearing completion. So we have, we're in the upper 90 percentile for reaching out and testing our numbers. So this is fantastic that we have this snapshot and uh, we're complying with the Cal OSHA mandates. Under investigative services, uh, we're going to be releasing Captain Lars Aspen back out into the wild. He's served his time at headquarters and he's going back into the field at Station 16. He'll be replaced by Captain Todd Weddle, who's receiving his training right now. Uh, but the month of May saw, as we mentioned before, the fireboat testing is now in their general daily pool. We don't need a specific test just for fireboat members. We had four members randomly selected and tested with the results negative. We have new field tests coming from a company called Smart Talks. All breathalyzers are returned back, and we had the background investigations for 78 candidates for the 132nd class started at the end of April and continued into May. Under support services with our just about to be retired Chief Ramon Serrano, we had another busy month. We had 148 requests for service. 109 of those orders were completed. Uh, this slide is somewhat dated. We didn't have interviews, but we actually hired a plumber and electrician finally after God knows how many months, but we have, uh, they're going through their uh, background checks right now, and they should be employed next week or the following week and out there trying to save us money. Uh, we had a pre-construction conference held in Ohio for the five type one ambulances. That was done during the second week of May, and I believe Kevin, uh, Chief Kevin Choker attended with members from the BOE. And the BOE is also currently researching and developing what we're calling idle mitigation policies, a way we could be more environmentally sensitive with our diesel apparatus out on the streets and try to minimize the amount of pollutants we put out. Uh, so looking for the best practices as well as looking for an electric vehicle implementation plan to see if we can actually transition from internal combustion engines to uh, electric or ele hybrid electric vehicles going forward. We also received a new wildland fire engine that will be serving and protecting McLaren Park, and we have four additional ones being placed into service in the next couple of months. And the long-awaited-for host tender has been delivered to San Francisco. We had a walkthrough at headquarters. Uh, it's being outfitted right now. We're going to go through several drills, and then we're going to roll it out in the community, out in the Sunset and Richmond districts, and show the neighbors what we have for them and how it's going to be utilized. So it's, it's been a long time since the 2018 Civil Grand Jury Report, but we finally have in our possession the first of five host tenders. And as part of the feel-good section of my report, as noted, we had the art installation ceremony on May 24th at Station 49. You can see Mayor London Breed and members of the Fire Commission command staff there. It was a great event. We also have congratulations to Fire Academy Class 131. Much needed recruits out in the field helping us with our overtime and shortage of uh, employee problems. We had on May 19th, 16 EMTs graduated with an epic selfie taken by Chief Jennifer Treff and then graduates. And on the bottom right, we can see Chief Nicholson as well as retired Chief Bob Demons, who made a great appearance to wish well to the new EMTs. As mentioned by Chief Tong, we saw EMS week in the month of May, May 21st through the 27th, with many events. And again, Mayor Lunderbreed there saying hello to all the troops. We had great participation by Los Bomberos at the Carnival events on May 28th. We can see on the bottom left side, there's Tommy Cato reaching out to the community as well as Calder Storm trying to get new members in the fire department. And lastly, as part of our diverse workforce and AAPI month, we had a great video done on firefighter Eric Tanaka who tells his life story and we're gonna share that with you right now. My name is Eric Shingo Tanaka. I'm Yonsei, fourth generation Japanese American, born and raised in San Francisco. I currently work for the San Francisco Fire Department, Station 10, 
assigned to truck 10. Stand by, we're trying to make it louder. Born and raised in San Francisco. I currently work for the San Francisco Fire Department, Station 10, assigned to Truck 10 as a firefighter. When I think about my journey and my upbringing, I think about my family. Um, my grandfather came to San Francisco on, in 1917, so we've been here for over 100 years. Married my grandmother. They were interned in the Japanese internment camp. But prior to that, he was a very successful business owner in the city. And when he just, uh, started to start over, he was, he was murdered. And I never met my grandfather. And so my grandmother um, and my mother were left to raise you know, three, me, my brother, and my sister. And of course, my father was around, but he was working. It was very challenging for, for me growing up as a, as a, as a young kid in, in the city, um, trying to find my identity. Um, and so I, I got myself into a lot of trouble just trying to defend myself and my, my heritage um, that I was raised to be proud of. And there was a time where I was a little ashamed, you know, thinking about and understanding my family's struggle and thinking about what my grandmother and my grandfather went through helped kind of ignite a fire within me to just keep moving forward. And so I decided to dedicate my life to service, servicing my family, servicing my community and, and the city. Um, one of my goals in life is to reach out to our community youth and support them so that they can maximize their potential to find careers that they never thought that they were capable of. When I want my family to think of me, I want to be proud of me. Whatever career I choose, it's not necessarily about the money. It's about providing a life that is honorable and, and, and thoughtful so that the generations behind us see how hard my family has worked to make sure that we've been able to sustain and thrive here in San Francisco for over 100 years. Community is huge for me. It has raised me and it, it has helped me become the person that I am today. And then of course our department. I mean, we've got one of the busiest stations in the nation with Station 3. We have a surf rescue program. We have cliff rescue program. We have so many things to be proud of as a department. And I can't say this enough. There's honestly no words for me to say how proud and lucky I am to be able to work for this department and serve the community that I grew up in. Just one of the many, many great stories of the San Francisco Fire Department and why we're all so proud to be a part of it. And that is my report for May of 2023. Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Chief O'Connor. Uh, at this point, public comment, Madam Secretary. There is nobody on the public comment line or approaching the podium. Public comment is closed. Are there any questions or comments for uh, CD3 at this point? Commissioner Collins. I just wanted to reiterate the importance of um, the intersection of art and construction at Station 49. That doesn't happen in every city, everywhere. Um, and I've been thinking about it a lot. Uh, how can we use it in addition to the way that we use it? 
because it's not in a you know beaten path in our city, which is in so vitally in need of um, reconstruction. But I think we shouldn't lose that place and the importance of place and the importance of art in a place. And that art is 100% dedicated to the history of this department and the people that work here. So I hope that we kind of keep in mind ways to use that place in addition to um, the work that our members do to remind everybody of what's possible. I mean, I quietly went around and talked to DPW people, and they're proud of it. I said, hmm, <laughs> we have more opportunities for you to be proud of your work. How about that? So I don't know. I think whether you have festivals there in the parking lot or whatever it is, let's not lose how unique and magnificent uh, that place is and what it means to the city. Thank you very much, uh, Commissioner Collins, for that uh, those meaningful remarks. Commissioner Fraser. Thank you, Chief O'Connor. This is your last report to us. It is. Very. Thank you so much for everything you've done for the San Francisco Fire Department and for me in my brief tenure here so far. Uh, thank you for your help. Um, two things. There's so many things in your <laughs> reports. But just two things I want to call out, which is I think the great uh, opportunity to collaborate with USF, particularly around people who are data scientists or people who are studying to become data scientists. I don't think we need to hire everything our own. And that's a field that is so quickly and rapidly changing. I really encourage us to continue to form a strong partnership with them or UCSF or all of them in the data analysis and the way that we do our data capture. Um, and then also the career long study, the cancer career long study I think is amazing, wonderful, and congratulations on getting that in place so that we will have data in the years and decades ahead about what is happening to our, to the health, long-term health of our firefighters and, uh, and in addition the people who care about them and love them. So. Those are the two things I wanted to mention, in addition to yay art. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, uh, Commissioner Fraser. At this point, Vice President Morgan, any comments or questions? No, I just want to say thanks for your report, and, and, and we'll kind of, you're lucky you went last, so we're going to go easy on you. Most <laughs> of my questions were answered already, so, so but uh, no, great report, and uh, good you. to hear from you. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Chief O'Connor. I, I just wanted to remark that uh, in terms of the report, which is always informational but also very creative, a pure pleasure and enjoyment to be able to sit here and, again, love information and being on top of it, but the way it's presented. Uh, I also uh, wanted to say how good it is feeling to have a report that says the whole tenderizers are now within our possession. I do remember the grand jury because that was, they interviewed me as part of that when the report came out. So it took us a while, but at least we got it done. And that's the reputation of the San Francisco Fire Department as far as I'm concerned. We'll get it done. Uh, I just wanted to say from the moment that we met, um, I call it young firefighter at the time, a couple of times I met you at the airport as you were trying to go back to DC. 
for meetings in terms of the union representatives. Also, when the EMS paramedic program started, you and uh, we just retired, Norm Kava, uh, part of that over at Old Station 49 and all the years uh, involved dedicating yourself to the department, but to the employees as well. Just wanted to tell you how much uh, I appreciate your contribution, your work, and your devotion to the department, as well as the commissioners. And I'm speaking for myself. Thank you very much. And uh, I just appreciate this opportunity to have you officially report uh, as CD3. So thank you very much, Chief. Thank you very much. I appreciate it, Mr. President. And uh, <laughs> I'll say my final goodbyes at the next commission meeting. It's starting to be like that, uh, that old country western song, How Can I Miss You If You Won't Go Away? So. I'll do a final final next meeting, but thank you very much. Yeah, thank you very much, Chief. Madam Secretary. Item five, SFFD overview of budget. Mark Corso, Deputy Director of Finance and Planning, to give an update on the mayor's fiscal years 2023-24, 2024-25 proposed budget for the fire department for commission review and discussion. Welcome, Director Corso. We've been 90 minutes into this meeting. Thank you for your patience. Would you like to proceed with this update? Absolutely. Thank you. Good morning, uh, Mr. President, Mr. Vice President, Commissioners, Chief, uh, Command Staff, Maureen. Uh, Mark Corso, Finance and Planning, to give a brief uh, overview of the mayor's proposed budget. We are, as the chief mentioned in her report, in the midst of budget hearings and meetings with supervisors. So just want to give a high level overview, answer any questions, and then obviously we'll keep you posted as we move along. So uh, back June 1st, uh, as per the charter, I believe, uh, the mayor proposed a, um, a balanced budget to the board of supervisors. Uh, here's a very high level overview. Uh, I do want to say thank you to, uh, as the, on behalf of the department, to uh, Mayor Breed, to the Mayor's Budget Office, uh, Mayor's Budget Director uh, Anna Dooning, and our analyst, uh, Matthew Puckett, uh, for all of their help uh, and assistance in this process. I think given all the budget instructions and uh, kind of all the metrics, we were prepared for the worst. I would say overall we've done very well, um, and that's mainly maintaining what we've had. Uh, there's been a few changes which I will talk to, but uh, in the grand scheme of things, um, I think we've done uh, very well so far in this process. Uh, at a very kind of high level, uh, we're over $500 million as a budget overall. Um, as far as what is being proposed and what has been approved to and presented to the board, uh, there are no new uh, funded positions or initiatives in our budget, so it's pretty straightforward from the current year. There's a few other changes. But this maintains uh, existing staffing levels across operations, so fire suppression, EMS ambulance service, and community paramedicine. Um, the largest change, if you look at it strictly from a dollar's perspective, is the uh, agreed upon MOU changes that the city and firefighters union agreed to. Uh, so that is input into our budget, not held against us per se, uh, but that is uh, incorporated already into our budget. Uh, the good news is, even though we weren't approved for new initiatives or new funding, uh, we have no budget reduction. So. Uh, as you know, as, as in pretty much every report that comes here, our scope of services increases and increases. So while we have no reductions, kind of their direction has been to try to incorporate those services into the existing budget that we have. And that's always a challenge and we'll always be monitoring that. But the good news is we haven't had any budget reductions. Uh, there's a couple of line items where we did uh, see a increase and that is from our materials and supplies budget. 
We had received a $2.5 million increase, which was a huge uh, issue for us. This current year, uh, we ran out of money uh, back in February. And so we've been triaging and making things happen. And we've had an overtime supplement that went through the board for approval. That part of that was reallocating some additional revenues to offset that. But as a department on the operating side, we have not had an increase in materials and supplies since uh, 2017. So that's been a huge challenge for us every year. This year, when you throw inflation and the recovery from COVID as far as supply chain dynamics, it's just it just exacerbated it so much to the extent that we had no ability to address that internally within our budget by moving things around. So uh, with the support of the board and the mayor's office, we were able to reallocate some revenues and solve the problem this year. And then the mayor is proposing some additional assistance next year. So that's a much needed um, kind of uh, additional supplement of funding with inflation, with also with call volume, as we'll talk to in a couple slides here, um, that's an ongoing challenge that we'll be monitoring. Uh, the other piece was uh, equipment. So in our base budget, when we back in February, when we were talking about what was already approved in the second year of last year's process, we had about a $3 million allocation for equipment. That has such uh, increased to $4.5 million. Uh, we'll talk a little bit. There's an equipment slide. Unfortunately, that $4.5 million doesn't buy what it used to be able to purchase, uh, so that is a challenge. Um, but there is an increase in overall funding to allow for some purchase of engines and ambulances and some other equipment. Um, other than that, the biggest change was some uh, additional revenue that helped support these uh, new initiatives. That was mainly through our EMS billing, uh, both one time in nature through uh, a state reimbursement program that we are receiving some back payment from, and then also from ongoing in nature where we are just seeing with the higher uh, call volume overall uh, and some changes structurally, uh, some additional revenue and ongoing capacity. So next couple slides are just very high level. Uh, it's nothing that nobody doesn't know already. As uh, this chart shows, we are very much uh, reliant on the general fund. And so that's when, our, when the city's talking about deficits and um, kind of competition for general fund dollars, we are very much in the front of that because uh, other than some fee structures where we're talking about EMS fees, fire prevention fees, and some state sales tax, uh, we are very much reliant on the general fund. And so that is uh, a concern as we talk through navigate and that talk through navigating uh, difficult budget circumstances. Um, but as I mentioned, I think overall in this year, uh, we've done pretty well. Uh, there's a couple other categories here where we get our funding from. Um, the airport obviously is a, a big chunk of that. Um, also, we do have a few services like our community paramedicine services uh, and our uh, the uh, function of the fire boat where we do bill other departments for those services and get reimbursement, and that's what that expenditure recovery uh, line item is. And then the other piece that is no surprise, um, the vast majority of our budget goes strictly to frontline operations, EMS, fire suppression, community paramedicine, and supporting that uh, directly or indirectly. Uh, and that is, as we've talked about before in previous budget presentations, one of our major issues as far as uh, lack of flexibility. Um, so in order to maintain minimum staffing levels, in order to uh, meet those uh, response requirements, uh, the vast majority of our budget goes directly to those efforts and does not leave enough um, on the edges, so to speak, uh, for any material budget reductions uh, that were obviously requested earlier during the mayor phase. So uh, that is kind of been consistent across the years. Um, we're very lean on the outskirts of that uh, supporting those op emergency operations functions. So that's a day-to-day -day challenge that we do have. 
Um, to that point, uh, approximately 90% of our budget is allocated to salary and fringe benefit costs, and so those costs are mainly for frontline operations, as I had mentioned. Um, as a result, that limits our flexibility that we have. Uh, we can't, even in the things that don't aren't directly related to those salary costs, help support uh, whether they're uh, supplies, fuel, things like that, that directly support those emergency operations. So when we were talking uh, back in February and January about kind of those large-scale budget reductions, we just don't have the capacity for them without materially impacting our operations. So fortunately, uh, the mayor's office worked with us and understood that, and those uh, emergency operations weren't impacted. Um, we are also uh, working, obviously, as, as things change, as uh, call volume increases, we're working on a number of um, uh, external analysis with either the controller's office or the budget and legislative office. Uh, a couple of years ago, we had a material supplement of approximately 50 uh, FTEs for our ambulance tier. That was partly as a result of working with the controller's office on a performance audit for EMS. Um, we're working, I know EMS uh, Chief Tong maybe mentioned that they're studying hospital times and other things, so we continue to work with the controller's office uh, on those efforts. And currently there's, in addition to reviewing our budget currently, the board's budget and legislative analyst is doing a uh, performance audit on street teams in the city, not just fire department, but overall. So uh, we're constantly working uh, and evaluating and analyzing uh, our operations. Um, the other key part of our budget summary is that our hiring initiatives are remaining. Um, so we are currently scheduled for two firefighter academies uh, in each of the two fiscal years, so four over the two years, and then uh, EMS academies for H3s, uh, EMTs, paramedics to backfill and maintain uh, the staffing levels that are approved for both the ambulance tiers and community paramedicine. So very happy to hold on to those. So this graph kind of shows uh, one of our challenges that have been ongoing, just the increase in call volume. So as the city has recovered, as the department has recovered from the COVID pandemic, we've seen call volume increase. And as we've added more scope of services, uh, that has only included that. So we have far exceeded even pre-pandemic call volume levels and up to about 16% of where we were right before COVID started. Uh, so that's obviously uh, a huge change for us. And we have added personnel on the ambulance. We have added uh, community paramedicine, obviously, which is a portion of this call. But these uh, metrics and are things that we are constantly evaluating. Uh, we want to make sure that we are properly resourced for them. Uh, at the same time, we are uh, cognizant of the fiscal challenges that the city has. So we will be continuing to monitor um, operations, obviously. Uh, we'll continue to monitor staffing, retirements, um, op overtime, uh, leave, and also any changes that may be proposed either operationally or through other discussions with other departments. So uh, it is w walking a line of ensuring that we are properly resourced and then being able to do and maximize uh, what we can with the resources that we do have. So uh, other than kind of the limited budgetary flexibility that we have that we've talked about previously, the biggest challenge we have, I think, is infrastructure and both equipment and facilities. And this is not necessarily a question for this budget in particular, but overall, uh, equipment and capital uh, have a lot of deferred needs. And given fiscal realities and cost increases and supply chain issues, those don't, aren't uh, getting any better. Uh, we are happy that the both the capital and the equipment allocations in these budget have been an improvement over the past couple years. Uh, and so we're very grateful for the funding there. But we're looking at ways to address these challenges kind of longer term because 
uh, at least on the equipment side, uh, pre-COVID, we were making progress, uh, chipping away at that backlog. And then with COVID, with the fiscal realities of budget reductions and also inflation, that has taken a step back. And so how do we dig ourselves out of that and get into a sustainable path of replacing equipment and to that matter, repairing facilities going forward? So uh, that's not solved here by any means, but uh, we are, those are all the conversations that we're having with uh, the board, with the mayor's office and internally as well. And here's just a brief overview of equipment that was approved. Uh, this is all going through budget process and the vetting uh, through the budget and legislative analysts, but just very high level. Uh, as I mentioned, $4.5 million for uh, equipment allocation and uh, $2.6 million on the capital side. There's generally about a million dollars that is for general facility maintenance, and then we were able to secure uh, some funding for a variety of other projects. Obviously, roofs is a hot one based on the storms that we had earlier this year. Uh, so fortunately, we were able to allocate some funding, uh, to be, be allocated some funding to address some of those issues there. We're also working, there's a couple efforts uh, from the controller's office working with FEMA on potential reimbursement for damages related directly to the storm. So we'll keep you posted on that, but we're working very closely to see if we can maximize uh, any reimbursement in that regard. So just kind of where we are in the process, uh, as mentioned, the mayor uh, submitted her budget to the board on June 1st. Uh, and so currently we are working with the budget and legislative analysts uh, on their review of our budget. Uh, we have been providing information and having a conversation back and forth with them, meeting with them uh, in advance of them putting together a report of proposed recommendations for reductions uh, to our budget. And so, uh, that has not, we have not received that yet. That will be for the meeting uh, next week, uh, which I'll talk to in a second. Um, but we're currently in dialogue with the budget and legislative analysts on that, answering questions. Uh, we don't really have any new initiatives to justify or explain. So it's mainly um, looking at staffing, looking at equipment, looking at supplies, and our current year trends and uh, expectations for next year. Uh, as the chief mentioned, we are meeting with the members of the Budget and Finance Committee from the board, as well as the president of the board, and I think that's wrapping up today. Uh, so we will be uh, in constant communication through them as needed throughout this process. Uh, we have our first hearing on Friday at 10 o'clock at the board chambers uh, in front of Budget and Finance Committee. This is not to discuss anything related to budget reductions or anything like that, but it's an opportunity for each department or the group of departments scheduled to go on Friday to give an overview of their budget, uh, any changes, want to highlight any areas that need to be highlighted, and then open it up to questions from the uh, committee. And so I think by reaching out to the committee ahead of time, we're able to get a gauge of what potential questions may come up or what information the supervisors would like to see. So, uh, so far that process has been working out very well. Um, but there's no uh, discussion of reductions or anything like that during that phase. Uh, there is a second hearing scheduled for next Friday, the 23rd, time to be determined because it kind of goes all day and depends on uh, if you're coming to an agreement with the budget and legislative analyst. I think the goal for us is to come to an agreement in advance of that. So our appearance at that hearing would be relatively short and we would come to an agreement with the budget and legislative analyst on some potential reductions uh, that would not, obviously our goal is to not have them impact uh, our operations. So more to follow on that. We will continue uh, working to come to an agreement. And with that, happy to answer any questions. Thank you very much, uh, Director Corso. We'll uh, go through public comment at this point on your item. There is nobody on the public comment line or anybody approaching the podium. Thank you very much. Public comment is closed. This is a discussion item. Colleagues, is there a question? Commissioner Collins, please. 
in um, in our circumstance where we are 68 plus reliant on the general fund in a city where GDP is plummeting, um, what other sources of funding uh, are there? From what we can control, I think we're looking at, we always do, we look at grants, uh, not necessarily for personnel, but mainly for the non-personnel side, equipment, training, et cetera. Um, for capital, we've looked at, we have a, obviously the ESER bond program, other bond, uh, general obligation bond programs, uh, continuing at looking at those uh, revenues, any potential changes in uh, state reimbursement programs, like for on the EMS that I mentioned, anything we can take advantage of there. But I mean, at the end of the day, we're still going to be very predominantly generally funded. Thank you. Yep. Thank you very much, Commissioner, Commissioner Feinstein. Thank you, uh, Director Corso. As usual, you take the complicated and um, bring it down to uh, at least my level, and I really appreciate Thank that you. very much. Um, I hope I'm improving year over year, but uh, that remains to be seen. I have a very simple question. Um, it, I'm trying to find it. Uh, I believe it's on page four of your report, and it's. Um, entitled uh, SFFD Budget Sources. Yes. And I'm just curious, I realize it's not a huge number, but it's our second largest source of revenue, charges for services. What does that mean? What kind of services, who do we charge? Um, you know, it's 60 and a half million dollars. Yep. Um, so it's, but again, I, I realize we're general fund dependent. I'm just curious, who else we charge? So that category is generally fees for services. So uh, there's pretty much three predominant areas there. One is our ambulance fees, which we do charge for uh, transports and medical calls. And uh, who charge to whom? Insurance companies or Medi-Cal, Medicare? Um, who, who do we yes charge? To, yes to all that. So we bill patients, as, but we also try to find insurance. And so we bill insurance companies, and then depending on the individual's uh, insurance profile, we would do copays or bill patients uh, directly as well. So that's the, the part of that kind of revenue recovery piece. Um, the other piece, the other large piece is fire prevention. So we we consider essentially fire prevention as its own little enterprise within the department where for services provided, for permits, for plan review, um, inspections, those kinds of things, we charge for our staff to go out there and do those services. And that's coming from business owners or property owners or people putting on events. Uh, those are all requested of us, obviously, and also in adherence to what's required in the fire code. But those are services provided to uh, the general public. Understood. Thank you yes. for that clarification. That's my only question. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. I just want to say thank you, Mr. Corso. It was a great presentation. <clears throat> it looks like we've got some challenges ahead. Uh, and I appreciate your, your background information on some of the whys, but it's, it's a hard report to swallow given that our call volume just keeps going up and up and up. So um, I know you're doing your very, very best in that shows, and I want to just say thank you. Thank you very much, and if I could add to your first comment, I think 
while this year I think we've done relatively well, I don't think there's any hiding. Any, there's going to be a ton of future challenges for the city, for the department, uh, related to uh, budget. So we're obviously going to be monitoring that going forward. Thank you very much, uh, Commissioner Frazier. Uh, at this particular point, before I add my comments, so Chief of the Department, did you want to add any comment to the budget? Uh, no, just thank you to Mark Corso, and uh, we will be presenting on Friday. Okay. Thank you very much, Chief. I also wanted to thank you, uh, Director Corso, Chief of the Department, in terms of all of your hard work, uh, in terms of yourself, Director Corso, as uh, Commissioner Feinstein uh, pointed out, um, your narrative, excellent, comprehensive presentation on something as complex as budget, city and county from the department is, uh, is really appreciated. Thank you. Um, you know, um, I call this big league kind of budget as I regard the San Francisco Fire Department as a major department within the city and county of San Francisco, no doubt about it. And these numbers are staggering. It took a lot of years for me to kind of come to grips with numbers and our services. And I appreciate the detail of it, but also the lobbying, advocacy, whatever word is not going to get us in trouble um, to yourself as well as to the chief of the department. Uh, I think that I also wanted to acknowledge the mayor's office and budget and their team uh, for us to go into the July session. I appreciate that the chief and staff are going out there to see the members of the board of supervisors. Uh, the adoption, again, Mr. Corso, is that August 1st? Um, generally, it ends up being right around the last few days of July or the first few days of August, depending on timing of meetings, but it does need to go through this process. Uh, we'll have our second meeting on the 23rd, and then I believe they, the budget committee put an internal deadline on the 28th as being the last day they're going to be deliberating on it, and at that time it then goes to the full board and there's a 30-day requirement for it, so depending on the timing of that, uh, it's generally that last few days of July, first few days of August. Okay, and I anticipating this process with the Board of Supervisors is going to go relatively cooperative? Um, hopefully that's the case. I think our discussions, as the Chief has mentioned, have been positive so far, um, but there are obviously a lot of questions that they have, not necessarily for fire specifically, but overall in the city budget, um, and so we'll see how the hearings go for sure. Okay. Yes, uh, I, I believe that the, the conversations have been going well, um, but we never know what, you know, what can change overnight. Um, but, uh, you know, and again, much gratitude to the, the mayor and the mayor's office um, for affording us um, the budget that we have this year. Um, and uh, <clears throat> tune in Friday at 10. Okay, thank you very much. And again, uh, please take advantage of... Um your commissioners on the fire commission, Chief Nicholson, in terms of any work that we can do upon our part. Thank you very much for your comprehensive update and overview. Director Thank you. Corso. Madam Secretary. Item six, adjournment. All right. Thank you very much, all. Uh, this meeting is adjourned. <laughs>